Mr. A here, saying, how y'all doing? Yo! Are you ready to rumble? Or should I say tumble? Cause I don't stumble, I bumble like a cracker, I ain't humble. Stand it on the ground, flat feet firm, tell them where I'm so drunk, and I'm doing it. Welcome to the rumble, I am Jeremy Lavelle. Pain of the Claim does the hard work for us each and every week presenting this amazing show, and I have no one to thank for it but the amazing, wonderful Baby Cakes. How you doing, Baby Cakes? Good. And joined with me, as always, the amazing, the ever vocal, constantly communicating Beast of the East, Brent Hooper. How you doing, man? Go. No. Yeah, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Always more applause than me. Always. Doing good. How's your week, going? Doing, man. Uh, yeah. Well, it's frozen here in Texas. How's it in Maryland? Um, chilly, wet, chilly, and gray. Wet, chilly, and gray. Well, I've already gotten my first uh, pipe claim headed my way, so I'm pretty excited about that. Looks like it's going to be good. Multiple rooms. Yeah, boy. We had. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, she, I mean, <laughs> I had a baby, baby cakes is over there uh, getting a little carried away. <laughs> She's having fun with the butt. Drunk with power. <laughs> drunk with power. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Just sip on that power a little bit more. I mean, because she could turn this all off at a minute. Mm -hmm. So. What are you guys dealing with down there? What happened? Because we just had like a deep freeze up here, like I guess about 30 days ago, right around Christmas. So a little over, you know, 40, 30, 40 days. We had one then too. It wasn't as bad because it didn't last very long, but this one is a freeze that's lasted a few days. And remember some of the, I mean, Texas is just not as prepared uh, for some of that stuff right. as as up north is and so we're just more susceptible to it we're not used to temperatures falling into the 20s for two and three days at a time people lose their minds it was the same circumstances two years ago yeah they lose their minds they actually try to drive on this shit that's what i think yeah. is funny i mean that cracks me up it's like we even had a guy on facebook post up i'm from chicago so if anybody needs me to run errands it's like you realize everybody like, you're getting on the road with ain't from chicago yeah, this right is ice. you need to worry about the other drivers spinning around you <laughs> that's the thing you're not going to be able to stop dude I, i'm not worried about the intelligent individual being able to navigate the streets with an extreme amount of caution i'm not worried about you it's the guy that thinks that i got four-wheel drive and i can do whatever i want it's that guy that you got to worry about. And he typically has a whole lot more. A whole lot, he's always driving a really big truck. And he thinks that ice, that he, that, that inertia doesn't, doesn't apply to him. And so I always think that that's hysterical. But there you go. Um, that's what's going on down here. We're going to have freeze claims rolling in anytime soon. So all of you guys that are listening in Texas, get your questions ready because we'll be ready to unpack some of these uh, claim studies. So don't forget about us. Um, guys, just to let you a little note, let you know a little bit about the format of the show. It is coming to you in three rounds of action. We're going to be discussing a couple of different things here. Um, uh, as most of you know that um, pay attention to the industry, there is a big conference that is going on right now um, here in the Dallas. Actually, it's in Denton, not far from my house. It's the SRC Summit 
that is hosted by April Hall, who does that every year. They always have a really good lineup of speakers there. And this year, they had a very special event called Badger Steve Badger. Now, for those of you who don't know, Steve Badger is a attorney. He's a defense attorney that works on the carrier side, but graces, uh, graces us with his presence from time to time to give us some of his positions and points and what he thinks that we need to be doing to, um, you know, kind of bolster our proof and what we're, you know, as, as it pertains to showing what we have to show in order to get coverage extended. And so he's kind of been a very um, vocal individual on in that arena on this side of uh, on this side of the fence, so to speak. So he shows up and tries to play around with some contractors and public adjusters from time to time. And they actually asked guys, him, huh? Guys, hang on just a second. OK, go ahead. I wasn't ready to ring the bell yet, but okay, we'll go ahead and ring it. You kept talking. So no, I, I was going to ring the bell and I was oh, going to tell them what the first round was. So the first round is, is unpacking Steve Badger's comments that he basically stated because the question was posed to Steve and I paraphrase, but it is accurate that there is some concern about the inexperience of field adjusters on the carrier side. They're coming in and they're. They're setting reserves at like $100 for hurricane damage, and they just really don't have a lot of um, information or training, evidently, but they're writing estimates and adjusting claims. And Steve's answer, basically in short, was that um, he wanted to speak up for the insurance carriers as it pertains to having inexperienced adjusters in the field by relating the cost of keeping experienced adjusters employed on an annual basis where they're sitting around twiddling their thumbs, waiting on the next big event to happen. So he goes, so if we're going to handle 10,000 claims, we're going to have to have help from people that we refuse to employ on a consistent basis. And so that was his solution because it would be too expensive to keep those guys on the payroll because it would cause all of our premiums to elevate. So on a, on a, on a multitude of reasons, that comment alone infuriated me. So Mr. Badger, if you ever have the occasion to listen, I disagree with that being a formidable answer. And so I am going to leave it at that with my opinion, and I'm going to pass it off to the beast over there, and I'm just going to bounce past this to him and see what he thinks about Mr. Badger's comments. Let's, let's peel this back for a second. Do we expect him to say anything different? I mean, really? No. No, I, I expect do, do we? Do we... Like I, I think the question, the question on its face is fine. I, obviously, it's a legitimate concern, but I mean, the I, I feel like we're asking the wrong question, or rather, the concern is displaced. You know, we have all these experienced adjusters out there, basically writing estimates and setting reserves. Well, it's not really the insurance company's job to to set the amount of the the loss, as far as I understand. So, so we're basically, we're going, we're going to the entity or we're going to the, the, um, we'll call it the player in this process that we contractors, public adjusters, appraisers, homeowners, et cetera, policy. We're going to look at the, the player in the process that we all love to talk shit about in all the forums. We rail on them for this and that. And then by the same token, we're going to ask them a question like this 
and expect a different answer. Like, no shit. I'm surprised he didn't say, well, it's not really our job to go out and and set the amount of the loss. Frankly. So, uh, the question, again, and, and I have a lot more to say about this, but A, I think it's a dumb answer, but B, like, I have a hard time getting irritated about it because I, I think it's a stupid question. <laughs> I mean, Mr. Badger, you have really inexperienced adjusters. Well, no shit. What incentive do we have to have experience adjusters? What 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 requirement do we have as an insurance company to send out it to send out construction experts to, you know, a freaking tree claim? Well, they I guess the question to do that. Well, what I what I what I'm asking is insofar as you want to employ adjusters and they're going to serve as some kind of role as it pertains to the investigation of the loss. You know what I mean? You know, and I don't have any problem with them right. being the guy, uh, you know, them investigating the loss and, you know, gathering the information and having some guy out there experienced enough to kind of assess what, you know, as it pertains to causation. You know what I mean? Assess the causation. It's like, yep, this looks right. like a hurricane claim to me. Um, I would I can confirm well, that these things are damaged. Yes. You know, so. So and that's interesting because right there, that makes sense. You know, like. And I, I know that we're going to get into the more specifically the role of the adjuster in round two. And frankly, I don't care if we merge the rounds. But like, see, what you just described isn't what happens, right? We we have a you know the carrier sends out their adjuster and they do this inspection and they do that, or hell, they send out somebody that isn't an adjuster. And there are so many. I, I just think the hmm, the question is wrong because we have to get far more fundamental about this. You know, never mind experience. What what do the carriers train? That's the question. That's one of the, excuse me, that's one of the many questions. What do they train? Does, do, do, do they need to hire, quote, more experienced people? Or do they need to train? Like, actually well, train applicable I things. I mean, I don't know. I would, I would say in the carrier's defense... Okay, in the carrier's defense, the people with the the, the skill set required to assess this, okay, are people that have other jobs other than insurance claims adjusting. The people that have this mean? sort of well, what I'm saying is, is the skill set the skill set required to actually set the value of a loss, which is what most carrier adjusters are attempting to do on a daily basis, is set the value right. of a loss. But the skill set required to actually do that accurately and understand it is outside the people with that actual skill set that we would want to hire that were actually experienced are, you know, making money as a roofer, or as a contractor, or, you know, as a tradesman of some kind, you know, guys that know how to properly estimate trim carpentry yeah. aren't, aren't adjusters. They're trim carpenters. Which, which again, hold on. So yes, I, I totally agree. And, and so that goes back to kind of what you described is to be able to go out and investigate a loss and perhaps confirm coverage and, take scope notes and have that dialogue like those things make a lot of sense. Absolutely. You they make a ton of sense. Yeah. yeah. But, but to then ask that person to, to, you know, estimate it or scope it as if they've or, or, have any or, or, clue. Yeah. Opine on, on, on a method for yeah. repair. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. 
so so again, I, the, when we peel it back and we get back to the basics, it's like, what the what the fuck are we out there for? I mean, look, I'm a public adjuster, and and obviously, I see different types of claims every day, whether it's freeze claims or you know, it's a freeze claim in a new house versus a house that was built 150 years ago. I mean, you're talking about two totally different, cataclysmically different scenarios. I'm not an expert in all things, and I certainly don't fucking pretend to be. But and, and with that being said, I'm not going out and attempting to go set the amount of that. No, we got to bring in the right people. Hey, here's a novel idea. How about the people that actually do the work? But that is not what... That is not... That's not what happened. That's not what happened. Yeah. I mean, and... So, to fix the problem, we, we kind of need to maybe come up with some ground rules to make sense. And by the way... None of this shit's going to happen, but there, there's no reason for the carrier to change it. Well, here's so, the other thing. I, I so, want to give you an example from reality here, okay? So we're talking about, because Mr. Badger saying that, you know, all of our premiums would go up because we can't afford to keep these guys on payroll all the time, okay? So I'm just going to tell you, okay, so that is a really good, for lack of a better term, theoretical answer. If you know, if we did this, then this would happen, right? So that that there imparts hypothesis and theory, and you know, we don't want to go through the scientific method here to prove the fact that your premiums would go up. Just trust me, that's what would happen. But I've got a very good friend of mine that happens to be an independent adjuster that worked um, Hurricane Ian for two and a half months, and I'm not going to say his name just to kind of keep him covered. But in those two and a half months. He got $60,000. $60,000 for the claims that he worked. Okay. Right. And, you know, and, and, but that's not all the money that the carrier paid to have those claims work because he only gets about 60 or 70%. So that's his 60 or 70%. There's another, there's an additional 30% that is going to, (laughs) that is going to somebody else that's going to the independent firm that employs him. And so you're still paying those annual salaries that you're talking about. You're going to pay those anyway. So, so that's that's something that's something that occurred to me. And and again, I'm sticking with this 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 um, prompt. It's like this if then this conditional statement of hey, if we want more experienced adjusters, you know, premiums are going to go up. Well, what if we just assume for a second we didn't need to hire more people and we didn't need to go hire quote more experienced adjusters. What if, what if we just stuck with the absolute status quo and the only human capital available are the folks that exist right now and nothing was going to change? That's our starting point. And so with that in mind, it's like, what's next? You've got all these people. You've got all these vendors. It doesn't change the fact that the people that you send out to the field have a $20,000 you know, authority limit. None of that changes. Right. The, 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 right. Guidelines, the guidelines that they get indoctrinated with it you know, are so fucking arbitrary sometimes that that's not like, we got to talk about that because that shit doesn't make any sense. But again, I come back to, there's no incentive to change that for them, for the carrier, from a business standpoint. There is, you know, they pay millions of dollars a year in customer service and they pay millions of dollars in controlling their narrative. And guess what? They're really freaking good at it and they don't care. But unless, so they don't care. And if anything is going to change, it's got to start with the fundamentals. I mean, it just, 
they're going to keep doing what they're doing until, oh, here's another thought, novel idea, um, until insureds learn how to perform their duties, until insureds understand what their rights are, or rather requirements are under the policy. Until it's explained to them that, by that, the carrier. That's another thing. It's like, okay, well, if everything stays status quo, um, what if the insurance companies just started enforcing the duties after a loss? Maybe you fire 20% of your personnel, reinvest into the existing ones to give them some training, take the handcuffs off, teach, teach them how to really, uh, you know, get them IICRC certified, you know, invest in the training. So they actually know what they're doing and they can actually do the job that they were hired to do. They weren't hired to come in and be contractors. They were hired to come in, confirm coverage, understand policy provisions, things Apply that I would causation. Yeah, determine causation. Right. You know, critical thinking, investigate the loss. That's a word that we don't talk about a lot, their ability to investigate. I mean, you're sending, you're sending adjusters out on water losses and they're not allowed to use a fucking meter. Right. right. That's a true story. I mean, That's true. You yeah. know what? That's like, what, what are they there for? And I, then yeah, they're I writing an estimate. And then they write, and then they propose to write an estimate. And I'll get into this later. But then they propose to write an estimate knowing that they haven't done a full investigation. How do you write an estimate knowing you haven't looked at everything? <laughs> and, and so, all right, look, my, I feel like I'm just piss bagging over here, but like, I kind of, when I, when I, when I heard this question, and you were the first one to bring it up. I still haven't watched the video. My thing is like, look, people, we need to perform the duties. We need to control what we can control. Our first mistake is allowing the carrier to control the claim, set the amount of the loss. That's our first mistake. We're never going to be able to control the carrier's agenda. We're never going to be able to control the level or lack of experience that a, a, a particular adjuster has on a particular claim. We can't control any of that shit. What we can control is investing, investigating the loss, documenting the loss, understanding what the duties after a loss require from us, and proving the damn thing. So exactly. I think it starts there. I, I mean... So, uh, yeah. you know, Brent, we're going to get into that in the second round, exactly what the adjuster's role is, and I'm looking forward to it. But right now, I want to tell you about my good friends over at Thrive, and most specifically, the person that gets me set up and ready to go every day with the business that I'm running is Miss Sally Brigance, and that's Sally Brigance at Thrive.com, and that's spelled S-A-L-L-I-E. You can also reach her at 214-789-1651. That number again is 214-789-1651. She will help you put together a plan that is going to help you not only with marketing, but also customer management, um, you know, set you up with Google ads, get you listed on um, all of the search engines and help you out with your social media. Again, give Sally Brigant a drive media call at 214-789-1651. And we're back here for round two. Um, and so round two, Brent, is what does an adjuster do and what is their role? You put fifty you put fifty adjusters in a room, you're you're gonna get two or you're gonna probably get 
you're going to get like three schools of thought. Right. And, and the, I guess the, the delineations that you're going to get is at least on the public adjuster side is should we be writing the, the estimate? Should we be writing the scope? Um, you know, those things are getting debated all the time. You know, some adjusters calculate the ACV, some don't. I mean, there. so the role of an adjuster, are we talking carrier adjusters, public adjusters, both? Um, I mean, we could go a lot of different directions with this. Well, I, I, in context, first of all, I'm I would, assuming we're talking about like carrier adjusters. But in I the context, yeah, in the context of this conversation, I would like to stick to carrier adjusters or independent adjusters. Okay, so okay, right. um, first of all, what I want to what I want to point out is most of the time, what an adjuster's role is is they go out, they are to investigate the. This is by and large what they're role is right now. This is the functional thing that happens on a day-to-day basis. They're to go out, investigate the loss, write a scope for repairs, estimate it. They are to collect photos. They're to label those photos and they are to create a narrative in which they turn in often to the desk adjuster on occasion. That person will handle it cradle to grave. But most commonly, that is what their role. When a claim is initiated, they go out, they inspect, they scope, they estimate, and then they cut you a check for whatever they believe that the coverages are available for under your current policy. So that is what their current role is, and that's what they do. But I am going to tell you some facts here in a little bit about the truth about that role and the fact that there's the way that they are sent out to do that is really done in a very backward kind of way. So, so I want to I want to take yeah I want to take one one like phrase out of that you know um, I think you said confirm coverages or something like that apply coverages is what I think is that's what I mean coverages and and I, I find that to be fascinating and I can't remember, I was just talking about this with somebody the other day but think about it you call you know uh, Harry homeowner storm comes through and pick a peril. I don't care. And his property gets damaged and he calls into insert insurance company and says, you know, my roof is in my fucking front yard because a tornado or whatever just came through and moved my roof from my house to my front yard. And the really polite lady on the other end of the phone asked him some questions. When did it happen? How did it happen? Did, blah, blah, blah. And so the claim gets filed and she ends the call with, you know, somebody's going to reach out to you really soon within the next 24 hours and they're going to. Okay, so then that person calls and asks some questions and re-verifies whatever's in the claim file and so on and so forth. And then that person says, hey, you know. Somebody else is going to call you, and they're going to come out to your house whenever that is, and more than likely that's some third party that doesn't even work for insert insurance company. And then that person comes out from ABC Independent Adjusters or you know Larry Ladder, whatever it is, and they right. come out and they take photo. You, you, you see where I'm going? 
And then they right. turn the photos in to someone else, and that someone else reviews everything, and then they send it to some other department to write a fucking estimate. And then eventually the homeowner gets some estimate that may or may not make some sense along with an ACB check. Did any, before I finish my thought here, did anything I just say sound particularly exaggerated? The only thing that I would say that I want to clarify is if they send out like a ladder service or whatever, or an inspection service, they do send it to an estimating department to be estimated. If it's an in, actual adjuster, typically they write the estimate. That's the only clarity okay, that I would, I would leave there. The point I want to make is that I would bet two years of income that none of those people even looked at the fucking policy. Most cases, so you've have got it. you've got a half a dozen people, four, five, six, whatever people, swimming around, meddling around in the claim, doing this thing, doing that thing. And the only thing that was probably confirmed, and even they, even this gets effed up, is if if this is a covered peril. And then from there, a a estimate gets generated through osmosis, and no one knows anything. And so I just took a phrase out of your sort of definition or sort of your your job description of an adjuster. And just off the top, 98% of the claims I see are perfunctory for that very reason. And this, I'm going to bookend my little rant with this. You look at your most basic roof claims. The roof's approved. The most basic shit is always left off. 98% of the time. And guess what? Some supplement guy or gal, in-house, third-party, company, whatever, they process these claims and they're 25 30% short all day and insurance companies pay it all day. Why? So back to the beginning with the Steve Badger thing and, and as we parlay into you know, what an adjuster is or what their role is, I mean, for shit's sake, talk about the fundamentals. That is inherently flawed. It's fundamentally broken. Right. Nobody cares. On the carrier side. So anyway, sorry, that was a rant. That was a long rant. But we're, here we are sitting about sitting here talking about adjusters and their role and all that stuff, and nobody's even looking at the fucking policy. Homeowner doesn't know it's in the policy. Contractor doesn't know it's in the policy. You know, adjuster so, may have glanced at a deck page. Maybe. Yet, that's a, maybe. 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 <laughs> It's like, and the only time I'm going to tell about? you this, the only time the adjuster is going to look up anything, any kind of coverage or anything like that is on like a specialty sort of claim. And by specialty, what I mean is um, where there's variation, like in Florida, for example, sometimes they'll have pool screen enclosure coverage. Sometimes they won't. But generally, they're just looking at the deck page to see if the see if the endorsement is present. They're never really reading the meat and you know, the meat and potatoes of the policy ever. They're just kind of going, making sure that as long as I estimate to these guidelines, which is really what they do to indoctrinate, uh, indoctrinate them is that if, if I can indoctrinate them to the guidelines, then this is what the policy covers. When the policy really and truly covers so much more than what their guidelines allow for. But what the guidelines allow them to do is if you estimate within these guidelines, you're not going to estimate for something that's not covered. 
and we're not going to be sending out an estimate that's got coverage for things where there is no coverage. So we're going to use right. these guidelines to keep you within these boundaries so that you don't you don't offer money or pay money for something that isn't covered. And so that's why those guidelines are created. They were also created as a good rule of thumb and a good starting point for what is common among a loss. So every house has drywall. I'm going to say by and large. And if anybody wants to leave comments about some houses have plaster, every house has walls. Okay. So every house, every house has walls and there are certain things that those walls have to have, you know, whether it's drywall or plaster or paneling or, or, you know, wainscoting, whatever it is that you're wanting to put on that wall, all of these. And so there, there are these common components that exist for these things to be present in a house. So. <clears throat> It's that that stuff is the easy thing, but it's the finishes and the nuances that make houses special that 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 how they're decorated and maybe they're painted. Maybe this wall has a faux finish on it and all that. That is all of the different sort of things that we have to look at that you can approach with guidelines because guidelines are there based on experience and this house no one has ever experienced before. So some of these things in order to properly address losses are going to have to be addressed outside of guidelines, but they are so programmed to only look at guidelines. That's the estimate that they're writing. You know, they're told, they're told when they're taught how to estimate in an estimating one-on-one at carrier school, they're taught that flashing can be reused. And so they didn't know anything about roofing before they walked into that. And they tell them in such a way that flashing can be reused. Flashing. Oh, no. Yep. Flashing is not something that normally gets replaced when you replace a roof. Flashing is something that that can be used four five, six times. You know what I mean? And I love all of these people that tell you like, Brent, I know that you and I two or three years ago, I, when was the flash, the great flashing debate? That was like two or three years ago that we, do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I don't know. We've, um, we've, I, we've I mean, beat roofing arguments to death so bad that I, mean, I don't, I don't know. And so you go and ask them you know. if you plan to contend that, <laughs> um, uh, so I've seen F9 notes on flashing. I, I swear to God, this was actually on one of Brent's claims that he sent to me that I was reviewing and looking at. And, um, it, in particular, this in particular carrier, as it pertains to flashing, put this F9 note in it, almost like he knew it was coming to max claims. Like, I know these people are going to hire somebody to help them. They're going to get a contractor. They're going to get somebody that knows this argument. And I'm going to, I'm going to nip it in the bud. I'm going to cut it off at the pass. I'm going to shoot it down right here and now with a, if you plan to contend. That the flashing needs to be replaced. I am going to need this list and litany of items to prove said, said, said claim and contention. And I looked at that and I was like, oh my God, can you imagine your homeowner? I mean, because the estimate that he writes is actually intended for the homeowner and it's a huge yeah. assumption that they're going to hand it off. And can you imagine the homeowner opening up his check and he gets down there and it's flashing? If you plan to continue, I, I don't know. And, and how and, off that looks and how what a ridiculous thing to put on a put on a, an official claim document. I nearly fell over. I could not believe I yeah. saw it. And it's like 20 fucking bullet points. 
like it was like i'm gonna need pictures of this you know i'm gonna need pictures of you installing new flashing and all of this i mean it was all kinds of ridiculous stuff like you're gonna give me a list of stuff to do thinking i'm gonna go like ah never mind that's not worth it i'm not gonna do that never mind on the flashing and it's like what do you think i'm gonna go do i'm gonna go get all your pictures i'm gonna turn it in and it's like contention complete you know what i mean i i mean i have contended there you go am i the champ now you know what i mean i i think i think we can lift our gloves up on that one but i what my point my entire point on this whole thing is is that is some ridiculous stuff to put in an estimate that is supposed to go to a homeowner if you plan to contend. And I'm talking about the flashing because there's an assumption when they're taught in school, all flashing can be reused. But it's like I my favorite question to the adjuster when I was when I was helping Max claims settle some claims or whatever. And and I and I talked to a desk adjuster and I said, well, how many roofs do you think this flashing has been on? <laughs> well, are you yeah. assuming this flashing was new i mean you know what i mean and i was like so the flashing can't be reused and you know and never mind the code stating that it's damaged i'm going to tell you you can't use flashing and it not be damaged you know what i mean because it's damaged it's a single use product when you hammer it in that's it that's it flashing is used once now can you reuse it sure you probably can but i'm going to tell you that when your roof starts leaking, I'd look there first. Yeah. That's what I would say. So roofers out there may disagree with me and you guys are right. I've seen you reuse flashing. I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm just going to say, if your roof leaks, look there first. That's it. The, uh, back to the, the role of the adjuster though, and tying this segment in with, with Steve, with Steve's comment about, you know, if we want more experienced adjusters, premiums are going to go up. Again, I would posit, well, what is their job? You know, what, what, is, what is their role? What, what are they going out for? You know, maybe, maybe, how about this? Maybe we should train adjusters to know more than, than two, two lines of policy verbiage. You know, again, there's a, there's a brilliant idea. We only owe for direct physical loss, and we we don't owe for wear, tear, deterioration, latent defect, and uh, fucking rot. Like those are the only two lines that you know uh, the majority of these desk adjusters even know. Anything outside of that is like, oh well, you can just fill in the blanks. I mean, it gets it gets absurd, and you know, if anything is going to change, which it's not. Um, that's, I think that's where the stuff starts. Well, and I know? think therein lies the rub. You know what I'm saying, Brent? I mean, that's the whole point. As, as we as public adjusters and contractors and attorneys and all that kind of stuff out there, therein lies the rub. It's like you want to set the value of the loss, but you don't really want to go to the expense to do it right. And I think that that is the point that I am more over trying to make. No matter what their role is, I would love for you to have experienced adjusters and me go find something else to do because that would be super awesome is that have the trust that when your adjuster comes out that they're actually looking at the loss as it pertains to what coverage is available for you and all of the coverage, not enough coverage to cover kind of sort of you can't see it from my house kind of work. Right. It, yeah. I mean... There, there, there are there are implications that are woven into this whole discourse that we're having that 
it's the type of thing that we all know, but it'll never be openly admitted. And the only people that admit it are, you know, adjusters that are worn out. But it's like, it is systemic. I mean, it it's on purpose. Don't get That's the word. It's, it's, it's systemic. It, it, You're right. You know, I mean, and I'm sorry. Like, I, I, I'm, I don't know who asked the question. I'm sure that the concern was voiced in a way that is very sincere and authentic. And I'm not being a smart ass when I say that. Like, it is a legitimate concern. It's incessantly frustrating to have some adjuster come out on site and they're going to tell you what the scope is and how much it's going to cost to fix it. And they've never even held a hammer before. You know, it, like the, the paradigm is backwards. Yeah, I heard the bell the first time. <laughs> I completely agree with what you're saying. I mean, and and that's and that's the rub, guys. And so it's not that they are. It's not that we don't want them there. It's that if you're going to be there, at least know what you're doing. That's it in a professional situation. So basically, so what do we want to get into here? So round three is, um, what does the policy say about adjusters? Not much. <laughs> it really doesn't say a whole lot about adjusters. You're right, Brent. It says hardly anything about adjusters. And so I, I think that that is um, <laughs> quite interesting because I actually was reading through sort of, um, you know, our responsibilities after a loss. And then in this particular policy that I was reading, it was um, what our responsibilities are after a loss. And the interesting thing is, is, is what was in there was basically the state statutes of we have this much time to process your claim, essentially. You know what I mean? Unless it's arson right. and then we have this much time. And then you, we have to ask for more time and let you know why. And if we deny, we have to show you why, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing. So, um, so it was, it was, it was one of those. I was reading kind of through it and it's like none of it in there. And the only place that this particular policy addressed loss value was when it asked for information as it pertains to the proof of loss, you know, so it right. had like letters a through G, you know, these things have to be in your proof of loss. And one of those things was the depreciated cost for repair and right. you know, the, the replacement cost for repair. It wanted both of those. And so all of that being done, I really couldn't find anywhere in there as it pertained to any kind of experts. It asked for the collection of invoices. It asked for, um, <clears throat> it asked for all kinds of things. You know what I mean? And so it asked for, it asked for all manner of things, but there is nothing in there about an estimate or a approved contractor. It doesn't, it doesn't address anything like that at all. So I still would have to say that the burden of proof in an insurance claim as it pertains to the contract and its purity falls on the homeowner. It falls on the person that's making the claim. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Look, when I first got into this industry, you know, I didn't, I didn't know Jack. I didn't know anything. And anybody that's in the industry would can perhaps relate to that. You, you don't know. You know, you're, the best source of information is the guy that's been in it longer than you, right? <laughs> to some degree. Right. And 
the reason I bring that up is because this concept of the insurance companies coming out, inspecting, and writing estimates and ultimately telling insureds how much they're going to pay or not pay, tell contractors, you know, setting the, the loss. I mean, this this has been going on forever, years, right? I mean, I've been in, in the industry for, I guess, a little over five years now, but based off of what I know, I mean, this sort of paradigm has existed for, what, 15 or 20 years? Yeah. Homeowner files claim, calls contractor, contractor will go out, do their thing. Maybe they meet an adjuster and the adjuster cuts a check and the contractor goes, Okay, cool. And they, they rock and roll. Now grant the the based again, I'm not gonna pretend that I was around twenty years ago, but based on my experience, like things have changed quite a bit. And here we are, and I feel like for some reason we're at this point where people are still surprised by the fact that insurance companies send out adjusters that don't know what they're doing, write estimates that don't make sense, and try to settle claims at a fraction of what it costs to actually get anything done. And I'm sitting here banging my head against the wall going, it's not the insurance company's job to do this stuff. Right. It's just not. Like, why, why, why are we all still walking around getting butt hurt on a daily basis by this stupidity. Insurance is a product, not a service. Why are we relying on them to, you know, if I'm a contractor, why am I relying on USAA or, yeah, again, insert insurance company, it doesn't matter who it is. Why am I relying on them to write my freaking estimate? You know, I can't tell you how many claims I've seen, how many contractors I've worked with that never wrote an estimate. It, I mean, in fact, it's part of the freaking sales pitch. Like, you won't have to pay anything more than your deductible, and, you know, we'll work off the insurance company's scope of work. It's like, well, no wonder. <laughs> yeah. You know? it, it, no, no, no wonder, no wonder, you know, you can't do the job, or no wonder you got to supplement and fight and, you know, fight tooth and nail to just get the, the, you know, the, the rebuild where you need it to or whatever. It's like, well, it deteriorates. I, again, I feel like, I feel like I'm being redundant, but it's just uh, these three topics, you know, whether we're talking about adjusters, contractors, like it's the policyholders responsibility. I could. So when you were talking about old school wise, you know what I mean? There was a couple of different things that were done. Generally what they would do is you would go out and get three bids and they would either pick the one in the middle or they would average them together and pay you the average of those, of those three bids. Right. That's what they, that's right. what they would do on occasion, you know, as they got a little, as they got a little bit more experience, then they would meet the adjuster would meet either the policyholder or a contractor on site and discuss sort of the repair methodology that was going to go on. And based on that information and estimate, you know, the contractor or the homeowner would agree on an amount. You know what I'm saying? And then they would cut the check right, right then and there. And then they hired it. They started hiring independent adjusters because of the devastation that came with hurricane Andrew. And so when they started hiring independent adjusters, they probably had a better way to communicate to them back then than they tried to do right now. Because then as they have determined and filled out that role of the independent adjuster, what has happened is they feel like they can just plug and play anybody into that role. 
you know, anybody that can pass the test is qualified to come and to come and adjust claims when by and large, that may not be the truth at all. So let me further say, let me further say it deteriorates over time because you're not dealing with people that are really studying the sciences behind the repairs that they're recommending. They're coming up and they're writing guidelines. It's like if there's a hole in the ceiling, then you have to write for insulation, drywall, paint, and texture. That's it. There's no other addressing things that you need to do. And then you just move on and you've addressed the loss and that's it. You know what I mean? And so, and the policy is really not very clear at all about who is supposed to come up with this number. Only thing it says is collect invoices. That's it. Right. So, and it's it's deteriorating over time. People are not as educated on it as they once were. And, and it gets interesting because, you you run into these scenarios where, and I know you, you've been through it a million times, and I've been through it plenty of times, where homeowner files claim and carrier goes, oh, just just send us your pictures, you know, and the homeowner goes, you're not going to send anybody out? And the carrier's like, no, you know, take your pictures and, you know, get a contractor out there and get your estimate. And, and the, it's the carrier saying, Perform your side of this contract, right? Perform your duties, right? And so then the contractor comes out and maybe they take some pictures, maybe they don't, whatever. Let's just, they do a good job, put together a good estimate, and they send it in. And then and then the carrier decides, oh, now we want to inspect. Now we want to give it a haircut. Now we want to come out and cut the contractor's estimate by, you know, 30% using the same thing that you're just talking about, leveraging guidelines or this or that, or, oh, we don't know for this, or, oh, we don't know for that, or blah, 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 blah. It's interesting, right? I'll just take your picture, send us a contractor's estimate, and then they don't pay it. Right, right. And because they, because at some point in time, the deterioration of this is they now believe that they know the better way and what indemnifies the claim. And I don't even think indemnity is most of their concern. I think, you know, if we can now, fix it, that's good enough. Yeah. Yeah. If we can flap some lipstick on it, you know. Well, and dude, you always hear that. Well, you know, if insurance wasn't involved, what would you do? You know, if yeah, if the insurance company wasn't footing the bill and you were just going to go hire a contractor, you know, how much would you pay or what, what would you expect to be done if you were paying out of your pocket? That's the that's sort of the. I don't know, the logic that you get, the argument that you get thrown at you when it comes to some of that stuff. I mean, well, and, and again, that, I mean, you and I've had that conversation a lot. It's like, yeah, well, yeah. I'd probably, I'd probably just patch it and do the best I can to limp along as it pertains to, you know, having the money, you know, to, to afford to fix something like that, you know, as something like that happens, but I'd probably, I'd probably do a whole lot of things if I didn't have to pay a fucking premium every or, month or something that or, doesn't matter. <laughs> Or I might find a product that might be available out there that 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 understands that these things kind of happen and run them through actuaries and figure out and do risk analysis on the chances of that happening and sell something called an insurance product to me that covers me (laughs) so that I don't have to think about what I would do if I didn't have insurance. 
That's a ridiculous question. What would I do? I would tear it down and build it all over again. That's what I would do. I mean, if what would you know? I'd I'd start my repairs with a wrecking ball. I mean, that's the dumbest. That is the dumb. That, that is such a red herring. It's not even fun. What would I do if? That's that's what what would I do? Why don't you ask me what I would do if you just went ahead and paid this claim? You know, I'd have a pay. You know, if I had a paid claim and you had a feather up your ass, and we'd both be tickled. <laughs> oh, that's, I love that. I love so, it. Yeah, any, anyway. So, and, and I know we're way off track here on this and I don't even know really how to, you know, to bring it back in. But the point is, is that we, I mean, part of what we do, Brent, part of the public adjuster's job, part of the attorney's job, part of the contractor's job has now encompassed dealing with this narrative that is not based in any kind of real fact. And I'm telling you, all of the public adjusters that I'm coaching right now is, is, is I, one of the things that I teach every one of them is how to disqualify that. And I think it's important knowledge right. to have and you yeah. know and if you're interested in coaching and learning how to disqualify that please leave your name and email address in the comments and i will reach out to you and give you a solution on how you can learn that stuff so um at claims coach on instagram and tiktok you can reach me at jeremy at remedyclaims.com or at claim what do i have a claims coach email I think it's your claims coach at gmail.com. Your claims coach at gmail.com. Cheap shameless plug right there. If it's not that, then it's your claim coach. <laughs> I'll, I'll put it in the, I'll put it somewhere. Yeah. We're going to put that in the comments. So if you want some coaching on, and it, look, I, I could, I could unwind it right here on the show, but I'm not going to do that because this is a much more involved teaching and there's a process to it and you can't, it's not a magic bullet. And so you've got to set in the, the reality is guys, is you have to set yourself up and be ready for the fact that these adjusters aren't going to be experienced. So what? So what now? What are you going to do? Because that's a reality of us dealing and working with claims until, you know, Steve Badger, until they raise our premium so they can pay them, you know, full time. Even though they already pay an annual salaries on these sorts of things, you know. I will share what the answer is not. Whether you're contractor, public adjuster, appraiser, attorney, I don't know. I'll probably get yelled at. But the answer is not pretending like you are the expert in all things. No. That's not the answer. That's not the answer. Newsflash. That is not the answer. <laughs> Newsflash. Yeah, that's not the answer. So, and I'll, I'll leave that there. The blowfish mentality is, uh, is not the answer. So, take that for whatever it's worth. All, all three cents of value right there. Um, don't pretend. Don't pretend. In the claims process, don't pretend. Right. Do not pretend. So, that's real dynamite advice. <laughs> I'm going to make a call here. And I'm going to call that the round there. Guys, you know, that'll do it for this episode. I can't tell you... Um, this was this was really I mean, I, I don't want to say it was thrown together because Brent and I have unpacked these sorts of topics a lot 
just over the years and dealing with the different things that we um, that we run into at you know any given claim. And sometimes you know you have a field adjuster that you just kind of want to scratch your head. And by and large, my advice there, my parting advice is, if you're dealing with a field adjuster that's an independent adjuster, just let him do his job. He doesn't have any authority whatsoever. Just let him take his pictures and do whatever, and make sure you're available there to assist him in his inspection and let him miss everything if that's what he's going to do. And that's the biggest thing you can do is take notes and observe on things that he didn't inspect. And then when you turn in a thorough inspection, that's the best way to combat that. And guys, so I just want you to know is, is getting there and arguing with these guys in the field is certainly not the answer, but at least know who you're talking with, you know, because if it's just a field adjuster and it's being passed onto a desk adjuster, arguing with those guys is a complete waste of time because they don't have any authority. They're not the claim owners, that kind of thing. So I think that's really valuable. Know your audience. Right. Know your audience. And I know we just, we spent, you know, 30 minutes talking about the role of an adjuster. You know, I would, I would, um, suggest asking them, <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. You know, I do it when I'm on the phone with a desk adjuster. Hey, look, you know, Mr. Mrs. Whatever. It's nice to meet you. Just so we're clear, I do it all the time. You know, what what is your role in this process going to be? When I meet yeah. the guy in the field, I'll ask him. You know, look, I, I know it sounds like a dumb question, and I'll say this stuff. I know it seems like a dumb question, but as we go through this and we're documenting the claim and all of this, when at the end of the adjuster meeting, I'll, you know, I'll set expectations. Like, hey, from here, is this going back to the desk? Are you keeping this? Are you my primary... And what I'm, all I'm looking to discern is some, some ground rules, you know? Am I calling you? Are you making coverage decisions? Is the guy at the desk making coverage decisions? Are you writing an estimate? Or are you not writing an estimate? What, where are we going from here? So know your audience. It's helpful. I, I mean, it really is. If you know your audience, if you truly know your audience, um, and you know kind of what the guy's role is and where he kind of fits in the claims process, it'll be great. And that'll be a much easier, that'll be a much easier thing to do because then you can aid him in his investigation and you can talk to him and figure out really kind of where he's standing on some things and, and, and create a dialogue with him as opposed to trying to prove your loss right then and there, because this is just one step in a, in, in a, in several, several steps and, and how we handle this and how we handle ourselves is really important there. You know, and so you, you can yep. win an ally in those situations, you know, cause you may run into that guy again. And I can't tell you how good it is to have an ally that's on the other side of the fence. That's kind of seeing things the way that you are. And, and that's an opportunity to create a friend rather than an adversary. Don't waste your argument yeah. on the field adjuster. I, you don't want to waste your, I mean, that's a really good point, Donna. You don't, you don't want to. You don't want to waste your argument on a field adjuster. That fight is going to be fought somewhere way down the road, and it's just not – it's rarely profitable. Why deal with it before you have to? Yeah. And, you know, and sometimes you kind of – if and here's a creative way that I find out how long he's been doing this, and it's like I always ask them, so what did you do um, before you got into this? High school. <laughs> you know what I mean? What, did, what were you doing before you got into this? Because most of the time, I can tell you this, people who are adjusters, it's not their first career. Bank and, teller. And, yeah, bank teller, car wash attendant. 
You know, what made you quit that? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so you find you can find out and get some dates in there to get an idea of how long they've actually been running claims. So, you know, something I've learned is uh, sort of social skills being in the field. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's you, it, 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 it's interesting. It's interesting how how the interactions sort of morph when you kind of approach these these scenarios with the golden rule of my in mind right you know again i i realize that the latter part of this conversation is kind of sounds contrived and cliche but it's really impactful stuff man well steve patrick even does a whole a whole um talk he's got an entire teaching and i think the first time he gave it was down at the meetup in miami where he talked about like treat these people like they're humans you know what i mean try to i mean Go at them with a little bit of kindness and a little bit of understanding, a little bit of professional courtesy. It doesn't have to be a fight. I tell nearly nearly every desk adjuster that I talk to is like, look, I'm not here to work against you. I'm here to work with you. I mean, I get desk adjusters that want to tell me all the time about how the claim affects them, you know, and how their supervisor's coming down on them and they don't like the timing of this. And I, you know, if I don't cut this ALE off my, you know, I'm going to lose my job. It's like, I'm so glad that this, I'm so sorry that this, uh, that this claim has inconvenienced you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I've gotten all kinds of things. It's like, I'm so sorry that this claim has inconvenienced you. Um, your insurance are pretty inconvenienced too. Can you imagine what they might be going through? But anyway, guys, um, just a couple of quick things before we sign off. Um, I just wanted to let you know that the co- uh, commercial claims advocate is coming back to Dallas. I'm really excited about this. Um, I cannot tell you how cool it is when they all come together. We're going to have a really cool lineup of speakers. We've got, um, they're coming on March 3rd. It's going to be at the Dave and Busters in Dallas. We're going to have more details coming. So stay tuned to the commercial claims advocate. Um, if you haven't subscribed to their channel, you can go check them out on YouTube. There's also a Facebook page as well. Um, so, um, yeah, so make sure that you check those guys out. I want to remind you to click like and subscribe here. Um, please leave your comments. We have a, uh, we also have a Facebook page called The Pain of the, Pain of the Claim Presents. And we're also now, big announcement, we're also available on Spotify. So you can listen to us in the car. Um, you will have to search, um, um, you'll have to search The Pain of the Claim and then the name of the show is the rumble but if you search the pain of the claim on spotify you will uh you'll find us there so check us out each wednesday is when we try to post something and until then guys i will see you on the next one cheers ready to ram you like the fire slam a jammer yes we're coming up don't even try to diminish it i won't start it but i damn sure will finish it It's over. Go home.